to the CG Pro Podcast. This is episode 34, and we have Haz Dalul with us today. I'm very excited to welcome him in a second. Um, if you enjoy what you hear today, you can follow us at becomecgpro.com uh, or in our Facebook group. So, episode 34, very excited, very excited to have Haz. Um, Haz is a, an amazing multidisciplinary artist has had a, an incredible career going through m several different types of, of content creation going starting out in game cinematics moving into direction and he's a, a well-known director now in the cross-media creation of a movie and a game at the same time he's worked on some amazing projects for some big studios and, and companies like the BBC and Discovery, um, but now makes his own feature films whilst making a game at the same time. And let's talk about the, the metaverse because everyone is today. So uh, we'll, we'll be exploring those ideas about how you can create um, something in those many different formats at the same time. It's brand new and has as a total pioneer in this area. So yeah, has welcome. Um, Great to have Hi. you here, and feel free to fill Thanks. in any any gaps. Yeah. <laughs> no, you did a, you did a great job already. And I feel like this is like my second time here, right? Because we've we've been on a podcast together. I think like was it last year or something. So um, it feels good to be back talking to you guys. Um, kind of follow up the journey. But no, you did a great job introducing me, man. Like you do all my PR from now on. It's all good. <laughs> for sure well I, I try and support you in the background as much as possible because I, I love what you're doing and i think you're a, a real pioneer in this area it's 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 interesting when i when i got onto the lion king my first one of my first questions was can't we do something else with all of this stuff because this is all going to get thrown in the trash can and the previous is never going to get seen by anyone like can't we do something with it obviously that didn't happen but um you're doing it you're doing exactly that yeah you're living the dream Definitely. I mean, previs is probably the thing that got me in, in real time in the first place. You know, like we were, I was pre, this is like 2019. I was previs in my third feature, my third live action feature, having done two features in a, in a TV show, like for Disney, which you can watch on Disney plus, by the way, called fast lane, little plug there. Um, <laughs> like I, I kind of like was itching to do my next thing. And then the pandemic hit and we're like, Oh my God. And then we kind of wait for a few months. They're like, this isn't, going to go away any sooner and all the live action you know, all our actors like pulled out and like you know financing just crippled like we're not going to spend any money so i'm like oh no what do i do and the thing about hollywood is like you gotta stay um you gotta stay relevant right but the only way to stay relevant is to keep creating content right like directors like ridley scott is amazing because they, they just they churn out a movie every year or something and they're always in the spotlight and so for independent filmmakers, it's extremely important to stay relevant, whether it's a short film, whether it's a feature, your next gig, announcement, you have to keep, you know, you got to keep at it. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? Well, I'm loving Unreal Engine. I was doing all the previews for the film in Unreal Engine. We did a couple of shorts, one called Battle Suit, one called Meeting Year Zero, which was a proof of concept for a film that I pitched on. And then um, when it came down to me and my team thinking, what are we going to do next? We're like, why don't we just make a movie in Unreal Engine? I mean, we had such a blast doing the shorts. And by the way, why isn't anyone making like long form content this way? Like it was like a no brainer for us. So what we decided to do was we, we decided October 2020 to um, just start putting some test sequence. We had the script and Ed, it's like one of those scripts that you write stuff, right? And then you write stuff that you know is never going to be made and you just kind of vomit, right? It onto, you know, get it out of your system and shelve it one day. And so when it came to animation, my producing partner, Paula, was like, well, we should pick a film on our slate or project on our slate that kind of respects the medium, right? You don't want to do a boring drama or just a, a, something that you can do live action in animation. Animation is such a great medium. You need to push it, right? You know, if you look at films like Spider-Verse and so on. So we had this script that was unshootable, had like physics-defined gravity-bending action sequences that were like, I don't know how we would shoot those. We're like, that's what should be done in animation. And it's a really good way to push Unreal Engine, storytelling. And we brought a writer on board for Stavros to kind of start writing the script with us. But we were doing that while we were modeling the characters, modeling the background. Now, we both know that's kind of unconventional, right? Because usually yep. you have your script signed off, you get financing, yeah. and then you go and once you got financing, don't deviate, fast, right? Right, and then <laughs> yeah. you do your you do your, your storyboard, animatic layout, and you go through the phases. And if you want to go back, 
It's going to be very expensive. Someone's going to get slapped. Um, so what we did was we just went ahead and did it. And we knew we, we knew who the main characters were, right? You know, with the main protagonist, the, you know, the, the kid and the antagonist. Those would never change. We knew the story would change as we do rewrites. So and that's part of the development process. But what was great working with Stavros is he would just churn out pages really quick as we, as we worked. But instead of me giving him notes, I would just start blocking shots out. So we would have the first mesh of the character come in not not even close to finish like not even textured a lot of time it was gray but it had an unreal engine skeleton we know the skeleton's never going to change we would dare change the skeleton right so um, we had that and i had some rough like assets in place and we just started blocking shots out and by the end of the week but we've only written like 40 pages of script i already had blocked out like five minutes of the sequence in unreal and we started showing that to the writer and the writer's like this never happens to me usually yeah. i just hand the script over and it's like Good luck. Don't mess it up. See you at the premiere kind of thing. So he was involved very heavily. But and then around January, we, we decided let's market test the film. Because at that point, it was me and my business partner, Paula, who run Hazimation. We were financing the project with the profits we had made from the Beyond and all other films we've made. So um, we market tested it. But what we did was we didn't do the usual route, which is here's a proof of concept. Here's a script. And could you give us some money to make the film? Which is usually the song and dance you do when you go into the studios. We didn't do that. We did. We just said, hey, here's 10 minutes of production footage. We're making the movie. That's 10 minutes of dailies. Psychologically, it changes completely. Now, I'm not telling everyone to do that, by the way. It's a serious big bluff. But we were making the movie in a way, and we were in pandemic. We knew, you know, we're not going to be waiting for any longer to make this. We just went and made it, right? But what was interesting is psychologically, people's minds were different. Like the financiers were like, oh, Oh, this is this is this is happening right right now. Oh no, we better um, but either we don't miss out or we do a pass right now rather than string you through the hoops and like go through the backwards and forwards of millions of meetings. So um, that was an advantage, and thanks to real time. But and then sort of like as we went along, Epic then saw the ten minutes footage, and Epic's like, "This looks cool. Um, do you want some help?" And we're like, "Yeah, <laughs> we do." And they and we apply for a mega grant, and wasn't easy. FYI, everyone listening. It's not easy to get a mega grant, just so you know. Um, but we went through the process and, um, you know, the London team, in the Epic London team were very supportive and they knew what we were doing. We weren't just making a movie. We were actually developing a bunch of tools. So here's the thing. We did this in Unreal Engine 426. The only time we updated was to go to 426.2 and that was it. So even like two weeks ago, we did the DCP for the film, the, the, the digital cinema projection file, right? That was rendered 426.2, all those frames. We didn't upgrade to 5 or 427, right? Oh. <laughs> Don't do it mid-production. No, 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 definitely. <laughs> Golden rule, yeah. Golden Although rule. I bet you wanted to. <laughs> so tempted, but you know what? <laughs> Thank God we didn't because we, yeah. we had built a bunch of tools. A lot of the tools was to give me as a director the ability to go in every single shot and block it out, but also adjust eyeline. So our workflow essentially was um, we did motion capture because we're not like traditional animators. So we knew... We had to get good motion. So we use XMs for our inertia bodysuit. We also end up using Move AI, which is the you know the oh, cool. AI which is very Vide cool. we video were, based mocap. Yeah, yeah for anyone first, that doesn't know. We were one of the first early adopters. So it was very beta what we were using. And the guys Timo and the Timo for Move AI are based in the UK. So you know they came and helped us in the shoot and stuff. And um we, we did all of that and then we used Reillusion iClone to do all the facial expressions, right? Once right. we had all that, we then created a system in Sequencer. So we had the first layer, which is the body mocap. We broke everything up, by the way. So we had a layer for the face, a layer for the mouth, um, a layer for the hands so that we can use like Manus, um, track it, uh, Manus gloves for the hands. But also sometimes in Reillusion, we would use the gesture plugin to do additional hands. So we had a lot of ways of doing so. It means that we can bring various artists to do different things and always just change things on the fly. But and then what we end up doing is building additional controls on top of that this is before control rig, by the way. We built these additional controls right. to allow us to adjust eyeline because I just knew we do the mocap, but the eyeline would never be perfectly synced, right? Yeah. And I wanted to change things, or like you know, like your skeleton is perfect, but when you put a character with big arms or a big gun, it's going to have all this intersection. So we wanted tools that allow me as a director to do it, and Drem had a CG to do it, and all my other team, like people like Mark Cheng, to go off and do it as well. Our team was very small. We started for free, went up to five, and I think at peak we were about maybe eight or nine, and everyone wow. was generalists, right? Everyone, there was no specialist. The only specialists we had were Gabriella, um, Alex Kong, and um, Ace Rayol, was blanked out there, Ace Rayol. And they are specialists in mocap. 
Gabriella and Alex Kong in particularly, they were more than doing mocap. They were doing mocap. They're doing all the cleanup. They're doing applying it to the rig for us. So they're like technical animators as well at the same time. And it was amazing. You know, we learned the whole project was learning. That's how we. So basically, long and short, it's how we got Airpit Mega Grant because we we're building all those tools. Yeah. Right. You were doing something that, that, and here's a hint for anyone applying for a mega grant, I guess, in, in that, unpacking that is if you could do something that helps improve the tool or the community, that's, that's the thing that they really like, tend to like in doing yeah, that. Definitely. And then and show those behind the scenes. Like, you know, you may say I'm quite prolific on online. Like, you know, I see Jonathan on there, Jonathan Winbush. Hey, I mean, I kind of borrowed a lot of elements the way Jonathan does his videos and the way he's constantly promoting. It works. You know, you want to get your audience engaged right at the start. And the best way to engage them is showing them behind the scenes, showing them stuff, how things are done. You know, you don't need to give away the plot of your movie, but to show some behind the scenes of movie AI being used and how that's being put into it's, it's a great way to give back to community. And because of that, you know, when I went to Sparks, uh, so we had the premiere, the UK, the, um, was it the US premiere or US Canada premiere um, for the movie at the Oscar accredited festival um, Sparks last week in Vancouver. And most of the people I bumped into like, yeah, we've been following your project for like a year and a half. And then we've seen all the posts on LinkedIn. So when we saw that, you know, it's at Sparks, we thought we'll come. You know, I was like, oh, my God, like one of this guy called Hans, who actually does a lot of reillusion work. He goes, yeah, man, I follow you on the forums. So it, the community building does work, I, I have to right. say. And that's what the biggest thing I tell everyone is just share, share, share online because people will follow you. That's a really, that's a really cool uh, point. And I think... Um... I think often people are nervous to do that because they also there's that other part where you want to like take care of the baby while it's small and not like you know people people can be afraid to uh, to yeah. to share with something that's not finished or complete they feel like they're going to be judged on an incomplete piece of work even working in commercials for years you the producer wanted you to basically finish before they showed the client and you always wanted to show them roughs because it was tons of work to finish it like but any any advice for for people to encourage them to to do that or or maybe even certain places where you wouldn't do that um yeah you know here's the thing we from day one we knew that this movie was going to be made on a very, a very limited budget, very limited resources. You know, everyone was paid. Obviously, we didn't want everyone to work for free because it's a commercial movie. It's not like making a short. Yeah. This is a film that's going to go out. So everyone got paid. But because everyone was getting paid on the budget, we had to be very smart on how we use our time. We don't want to be animating shots that's just going to go straight into the bin, right? So we set a rule from day one, like on the whiteboard, and that is progression over perfection. That's right. the rule. So we got a shot with two people having a conversation. Don't worry about the background. Don't worry about, as long as there's a chair and table and props in front, who cares what? Who cares that the tree isn't in the background? Who cares if the door isn't there? Just get the shot in the edit, get it in the edit, start putting sequences together. Once everyone got into that, oh my God, we were just churning shots out. We got to a point where we were like, we can make editorial changes and it wouldn't affect us that bad. And we can make changes in real time. Right. So that's the other thing. Embrace the nature of real time. You know, real time doesn't just mean, oh, you've got stuff happening in real time that you can make changes in real time. And what that means is we started doing testing. So Paula Crickard, my business partner, she's, you know, she's obviously, she's like currently the post producer on Expendables 4. Right. And she's like all about test, 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 test it out. We tested the 10 minutes. We did the same thing. So we did screen testing. A lot of our screen testing didn't have finished shots. Doesn't matter. We wanted to test how the story is going, how the flow is going. And we got incredible feedback, you know, Epic. We gave a lot of stuff to Epic to look at and feedback on. Reillusion, the same thing as well. Um, and Reillusion, by the way, Reillusion gave us um, a pitch and produce grant as well. Uh, when they started seeing cool. dailies, by the way, this wasn't like, oh, we applied for it before the film. This was like halfway through the film, you know, Enoch, who's really amazing over at Reillusion, said, hey, you know, we have a pitch and produce program. You just have to like do some PR marketing, show a lot of behind the scenes. I'm like, hell yeah. So they were very supportive as well. And again, how you... I, here's the thing. I get this question all the time, Ed. And the, the question I get is, how do I get how do I get tech sponsorship? I want to get some free kit. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to reach out to. Most of these people are very accessible on LinkedIn. But what are you going to do in return? Right? You don't just take yep. free kit for the sake of it. Go do something in return, right? You know, people like Jonathan do amazing community videos. Like, oh my God, priceless. What do I do as a filmmaker? Yeah, they're great. So you've got to show behind the scenes. You've got to keep the community engaged, showing how you're pushing the tools, how you're breaking the tools often as well. Like a lot of time we're doing stuff in Unreal, we're breaking it, right? So right. 
once you get in that mentality, the, your traditional filmmaking way completely goes out the window. I mean, traditional still stays the same in terms of storytelling. You need to have a good first act, second act, third act, and all of that stuff. But in terms of how you make it, you can change the game massively. Right. Yeah, a lot. Again, a lot to, to unpack there. Something, another good piece of advice for anyone looking for for mega grants in there as well, for uh, or grants of any kind. People want to see that you're already on the path you're already doing it you're going to do it anyway and they you just want a bit of extra help that that's the right approach yeah don't don't go to them with uh, a completely unstarted idea um that you would like to do start it and then yeah and so you're talking about a lot about community here and community driven development and the more that you share the more you attract yeah. those other people which seems to be what you're even doing recruitment. with even recruitment that's how, that's right. how we got gabriella like Gabriella, like was seeing the stuff that I was posting on on like the Facebook group, the virtual production Facebook group, and I was seeing all the amazing stuff that she was posting. I'm like, and then one day we're just like, hey, we should we should be friends and work together. <laughs> kind of like that scene in like Twenty One Jump Street. Let's be friends. And um and she was amazing. Like you know, like now she's like, I can't even get her to work on my project. She's so busy doing a million things. But um but yeah, it, it was amazing. And again, we re- you know some of the other artists that came on board just because they saw the work we were doing and there, there was a genuine passion for doing that genre of work, which is, you know, we're making an adult animated film here, you know, akin to Akira. So yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to be part of that? <laughs> and it's an unreal. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's super exciting to, to see what you guys are doing. And I'm, I'm really, I'm in, interested to see the way that you're doing it, the, the way that you're bringing community in, the way you're sharing so much. And I, I know that, like, thinking back to Lord of the Rings, I guess, had that blog, that um, film blog, whilst they were making a couple of them at least, so they would start sharing little bits of behind the scenes. It was a bit more um, curated, oh, yeah. that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But but very, really, really cool to, to help people understand, like, how how this is done. And you're a very... You're very, it's a very unique time. This wouldn't be, wouldn't have been possible uh, even a few years ago to have a team that small make a feature film. So that, I just want to put a spotlight on that as well for a second. That's a t- very small team to make a feature film. That's, and we're that's... not burnt out yet. We're not burnt out yet. <laughs> right. Oh, well done. Yeah, I think it's it's great for people to be able to to see that and hear about it because. A lot, a lot of people are getting excited um, from people who have been in the industry for a long time to people that haven't been in it at all. Um, and it's really inspiring to see how, how possible this is and how accessible it is. Um, it is, do you have but any... you know what? But you know what? Sorry, I was going to say, yeah. It's, yeah, it's cool that we were a small team and you know, we did like, you know, every single shot is an animated. You know, it's a 95-minute movie, 4K, HDR graded, if I might say so. Um, <laughs> but at the same time there are certain qualities every member of the team's got to have you yeah. know they don't have to be crazy or anything like that but you've got to have the drive and tenacity to see it through you know like i speak to a lot of filmmaker friends of mine like amazing filmmaker friends of mine who are afraid to dive into the the unreal engine world they're like oh my god that's like a lot of work i'm like but when you shoot a live action film you have to wake up at five in the morning to get there for six thirty call time. You you have to do your prep. There's there's just as much work doing live action than there is doing Unreal Engine work. It's just different type of work. And the storytelling, regardless if you're doing Unreal Engine, C4D, paper animation, stop motion, regardless what your medium is, the storytelling is always going to be the same. You need to have good characters of heart, good plot, good story. You know, clear vision of what the story is, but also you know you've got to be able to tell that story in any medium, right? And that's the thing. If you could tell that story in any medium, then you know it's going to work. And now the medium is there to support that story and push it. In our case, that medium is Unreal Engine. Right. Yeah, then, so I, would, I wanted to ask you, what um, what are some qualities that you look for in, in people that you want to work with or that people can culture in themselves if they want to do this type of yeah, work. Yeah, the first the first question I ask them: Have you seen Akira? If they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Sorry, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's not true. That's not true. No, um, you know, if, actually, you know, there, there's a bit of truth in that because for me, when I'm looking for quality in people, I'm looking at a person. Like, if they've reached out to me saying, "Hey, I'm an Unreal Engine artist." Um, or a generalist, and I would like to work in it. I already know that they know how to use Unreal. I already know that they're an artist. So for me, the conversation, I don't even like using the word interview. The conversation is like, can we get on? Can we gel? Can we collaborate, right? Are we are we open to throwing ideas out? 
And so, you know, I look at people, I look for people that are, that takes initiative very well. And luckily, you know, touch wood, everyone on my team, Andrea, Mark Cheng. In fact, Mark Cheng is a good example. Mark Cheng, who also follows this, by the way. Um, Mark Cheng, I saw on Facebook and he's, and we had mutual friends and he's former Nickelodeon and he's a director. He's a director. He's done some amazing short films in Unreal. And then he reached out and said, listen, I'm a director, but I want to help you out as a you know on your film i don't i know i'm not gonna be able to direct it but i want to help you so i'm like yeah you know and looked at his stuff we shared similar ideas and slowly i started giving him se- shots to do and i eventually just gave him sequences to go because we had a shorthand um and i knew he was a filmmaker by heart you know he knows cameras he knows everything he loves storytelling so i'm like you know i'll give you the seat and it wasn't the actions it was all like the sequences the drama sequences um the stuff that you know that i had done master shots already that i just needed people to do loads more of he ended up doing that and he just like killed it smashed it completely but like then there's other types of people i look for that are much more technical minded they may not be so savvy on storytelling which is okay but for me if i'm talking to a technical person i like to know what what nerds them out technically and why does it nerd them out because then you know as a as a as a director or a producer how to best make use of that person the last thing i would ever want to do is get an artist to do something that he or she is not very good at doing but they're doing it because they just happen to be hired right right that's the last one and you see that in a lot of big studios that i'm sure both of us can share like working at big visual effects companies sometimes you just put into something either you're pigeonholed because you're good at roto and you'll always do rotoscoping or you're just doing fur or groom shading or, or whatever it is you just keep doing that um and maybe you don't like doing it or maybe you have to do it because you ain't going to have a job if you don't so i would never want to put that people in that position so i feel like we're in a we're in a we're in a world today where artists are now picking projects based on stuff that rocks their boat as opposed to like oh i'm, I'm based in london that's a job in london i'll do it because everyone's working remotely right yeah i mean it's it's really this whole <clears throat> confluence of technology maturing in terms of hardware and software and then throwing the pandemic to kind of unlock that rule that existed before where like no you have to be in the studio and everybody would just refuse that it was even possible to do it any other way and then suddenly they had to like oh okay yeah maybe it is within a week (laughs) though it's really all of that together is really shaking this this whole thing up and we have that there's a lot of things we can poke at the uh, the pandemic for but we have that to thank it for in a way that yeah. it's brought the world closer together um and i feel like this workflow is is really changing the way that we work you've already talked about this you've said that it's not just about the fact the renders are real time but the process is happening yes. in real time yes. and that's what excites me even more than the render speed Dude, dailies dailies right we've all been there like you know remember dailies ed like you, you go into a yeah. room the court everyone puts the shots on the screen the render quick time you have a coordinator writing notes down, everyone gives notes, and then like the coordinator has decimate the notes out. And within a few days, the artist gets the notes. And then a few more days, the notes are addressed, right? And then like a day to process the quick time up on Shotgun or whatever software you're using. Whereas this is how we did dailies, by the way. We had Zoom, everyone open up their Unreal Engine screen when they're talking, and we'll just go through the shots. And we'll right. be making tweaks on the fly. So I'll be like, oh, just move that tree to the left, done. Okay, let's, um, let's, just, let's just like, you know, get rid of that chair, done. So by the time so you just play out, it, you just play yeah. it in the engine. You're not even rendering it out of the no, engine. You're just why, hit play in we? the engine. No, I, I'm with you. I'm absolutely right, with it's you. It's real yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, we we obviously render to get all the the perfect anti-aliasing, the perfect motion blur, and some of those yeah. post-process effect. But when we're doing dailies, we turn off a lot of post-processing anyway because we want to see the animation, right? So we're able to make changes on the fly. So by the time we finish like our 45 minute dailies, I would say 85 to 90 percent of the shots have been addressed only the stuff that needs a lot of attention and time like if it's like reanimate the camera or re redo the shaders then obviously that takes time but we, even when we're doing dailies on my end i'll load up on on real i have sequencer because I, I live in sequencer right so as a director my my domain in unreal is sequencer 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 whereas andrea my head of cg is all about the blueprints he's all about the blueprints and the characters and you got sam who's all about the lighting and then, you know, then you've got Mark Cheng, who's also all about the cameras and the staging. So everyone's kind of like got their thing. And so I'll just go in and start tweaking cameras and stuff. And I see what someone, I see a new shot that we got, we use Perforce, by the way, we use Perforce. So we do like every day we do a synchronization, download the latest, make sure everything hooks up perfectly. And then we load it up. But yeah, our dailies are like so fun. I used to remember dailies being this like ugh, long yeah. drawn thing. Now it's like super fun, man interactive dailies there you yeah. there you have it people you can get your note do your notes in the dailies don't like 
wait oh, for yeah. some coordinator to write down write it down wrong and then you we do love it wrong <laughs> we do love coordinators but like in this case we yeah don't yeah have yeah any room for it so yeah but yeah, they're a crucial part yeah. of the process, and producers and coordinators make this stuff work absolutely. But yeah, it's it's the really like I want to underscore it again. What you're saying is that you can this the process is in real time. It, it from the very beginning, from the the storytelling, the pre-production, the production, the dailies, the post-production, even every part of it is even the poster, dude. Like you know the poster that got released. We, yeah. we use this amazing artist called Creepy Duck Design. It's a cool name. So Creepy Duck Design, if you go to creepyduckdesign.com, you'll see all the posters. You know, Jordan Peele, James Wan rates him as like one of the coolest like designers like on the planet kind of thing. And he's based in Ireland. Again, he just saw some of the stuff I was posting and said, hey, we should work together. I'm like, oh my God, you're like this legendary poster designer. Um, and what we did was we rendered a bunch of like assets out of Unreal with, with an alpha and super high res 8K. We just kind of super sampled it up and send it over to him. And he's using all of the Unreal assets and putting it together. So they wasn't actually creating additional assets. So even the poster is done in Unreal Engine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's very cool. And so how, what's it like for you being used to it being the other way? Um, you're used to things being offline and it being a pipeline that you have to go yeah, through. Yeah, a lot of waiting. I think that's the thing. Look, you know, traditionally like even to do a poster you know if you're doing live action you got to do like what you call like um the kind of like unit press kits or something where someone just takes those photographs of the actors on white or green and then yeah. they'll send it to a design studio and they'll comp it and then the agency will give them a trillion feedback and then distributors will give a trillion feedback with this we controlled every aspect of it because we we hired an amazing designer to do what he is really good at which is created professional looking movie posters all the other stuff we took care of right so he he was like oh my god i've got so much to choose from it's very rare for me usually i'm requesting for stuff and he could request for stuff and we could give it to him because it's all in real time right um but also like it's all the real time is great but there is a blessing and a curse right the blessing yeah. as you know we've spoken about the blessing the curse is you can make untold changes Right. And this is this is how bad this curse is. Like again, like two weeks ago, we're getting ready for the DCP. So um, Paula Cricard's over at the post company, you know, processing the the we're doing the final mix and the grade and everything. And we did a test screening just to see how it looks. And I'm like, Oof, oh my god, I can see an intersection right there. And you know, once you see it, you can't unsee yeah. it, dude. You can't yeah. unsee it. So um, so I'm like. I've got to change this. Now, traditionally, you're like, no, it's done. Move on. You can't go back to the visual effects company or whatever. In my case, I just went home, did the tweak, rendered it out, uploaded EXRs onto like, you know, the, the shared server space. Um, our colorist um, and editorial guy, Colin, downloaded it, updated it and resolved and then made a DCP. That's how quick it was. And that whole so, process, how long did that take to go through that? I mean, it took, me, it, it took me two minutes to make that change because it was inside i just moved it just use a transform and move the character yep. so it was no longer intersecting um it took like um about a minute to render the sequence as 4k exrs another maybe two minutes to check it and resolve to make sure it all lines up fine i haven't like done anything crazy because unreal can when you're working in a real-time game engine there are some yep. weird stuff that can happen like your camera does weird stuff and all kinds of weird stuff or or you need enough caching do you need to put like enough warm-up frames for particles and all of that you gotta remember to do all of that um so i would say in total it was about 10 15 minutes by the time i uploaded it that's how quick it was now usually <laughs> it would have taken two to three days to get that approved. yeah for sure <laughs> there you go Oh, it's amazing. How do you, how, so talking about drawing the line, how do you, where, where do you draw the line? I think you draw changes? the line when you draw the line, when you like look at the schedule, yeah. and you look at the budget, you're like, okay, we need to draw the line. But also at the same time, like you've got to like step away from it as a filmmaker. The problem with, when I say the problem, again, the curse about being in real time, especially as a director that's been so hands-on is you sometimes don't have time to walk away and look at the bigger picture so what i tend to do is i tend to just like walk away let the film do its thing screen screen it to like strangers and then come back and look at it with fresh eyes and listen to the feedback um because a lot of the feedback we get sometimes I'm like oh my god i did not think of that i just thought it was an obvious thing but because i'm so tunnel vision i'm so yeah. in the process right i'm not waiting like you know the thing that you i do miss about traditional rendering is the waiting time I know right. it's weird to say that, right? But here's the thing. When you're waiting for renders to happen, you have time to think about stuff and ref and reflect and, you know, think, hmm, maybe I could do things differently. Whereas when you're in real time, it's go, 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 make changes, make changes. So um, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a balancing game, I guess. <laughs> so do you do you have to kind of build that in if you if if essentially you're in reaction to this kind of process, you basically would have none of that. Um, do you have to kind of build that in, build in thinking time or reflection time into? Yeah, and again, you know, again, it's a personality thing as well, right? You know, you got to. You know, like I've got a friend Alvaro, right? That's Alvaro Garcia is doing this project called Crete. And we have this conversation quite a few times. And also my friend Arn, who's doing another project. Um, and we're all different filmmakers, all different filmmakers in different in our own way. But we always talk about how do we find time to think about art direction, story. And I think sometimes you just gotta get out of the room. I just go for a run and I'm thinking about stuff, but also have a producer, like a producing partner. Like I'm a producer on the film and my business partner, Paula Krigart's a producer. And Paula doesn't work in Unreal. She doesn't care, but she loves, she loves the process. She understands the medium. So she'll be like, I'm going to take a look at this film, go off and, you know, do something else, like go pitch on the next project or something. And, um, and then you, you, you have a conversation about it. And I think you, everyone does it very differently. For me, I go and exercise and then I come back. I'm like, Oh, Oh my God, what was I thinking? No, delete. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a really good tip for people, I think, as well. Like, something which worked really well for me on, on Lion King, again, was really? going for a run. Every every lunchtime, I went for a run, and it just helped me clear all of the stuff from the morning and then come back with fresh energy 100%. and de-stress and get any ideas that you were trying to process out, just stop. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. need that reset. You need, you, need, you, need that, you need that physically and mentally, you know, more mentally, if anything, because, like, you know, making a movie, man, like any movie, whether it's live action, whether it's real time or whatever, you know, it's it's blood, sweat and tears. It's emotional. It's like, you know, you do screen testing, you get feedback and the thing that you thought worked doesn't work. You know, one of the biggest things I got told, which was a collective note, by the way, was to tone down the violence. I'm like, it's a freaking cartoon. Why do I have to tone down the violence? Have you seen Akira? But they're like, tone down the violence. So I'm like, oh, but then what you realize is you tone down the violence, you kind of do things off screen with sound guess what it's even more violent because now you don't yeah. see it you imagine it so like ah, he's got last laugh but no um you, you do it's very emotional and like you know sometimes you know you, you're getting feedback and you're thinking oh my god like am, am i doing the right thing like you know this is like we're financing this project ourselves yes we've got some grants and stuff but essentially we are the core financiers like you know we got to make decisions that are not not selfless you know not all about us but about the movie and so then you just got to step back and just ask the team are we are we doing the right thing here? So it's very emotional. It's you need you need a you need a frame of mind. It isn't making a short film is is a challenge on its own, but it's it's that's that one thing. Making a movie where there is a budget and a schedule attached, you have incredible voice actors that have that have you know put in their name to the movie. There's a lot of pressure to get it done right, and the even bigger pressure is we're using a freaking game engine to make an animated film. So all eyes are on you. <laughs> kind yeah. Of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it because you know, without you and people like you doing this kind of stuff, it wouldn't it wouldn't be able to prove itself as a thing. And you are proving Thanks, it. Man. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I've got a few questions coming through Ooh. from from the audience. Um, one person's asking, how do you translate from being focused on learning the tech skills to becoming a storyteller? Okay, that's an interesting question because um, just being a storyteller is not really something you train for. I know it sounds kind of weird, but it's kind of mm. like, it's, have you got it or you haven't? No, kidding. Um, but kind of like, like storytelling has always been ingrained in me since I was like eight or something, right? I'd always tell my little brothers scary stories to scare them at night or, you know, around a campfire or something when we were on a school trip. We're always telling stories, right? Even if I'm trying to bunk off school and come up with a lie or something to tell my parents like, oh, I was, I was like sick when I was really playing Street Fighter 2 in the arcades and missing out maths or something, <laughs> you know? it's a level of storytelling right don't do it kids don't do this stuff at home kids like go to school but no um like there's always storytelling so i think storytelling you know is always in you if you are a storyteller but how do you how i think your question is how do you separate that from technical right and i think the technical side is this is probably the same answer i would give anyone that would ask me how do you learn unreal engine which then that kind of answers this question which is like i didn't set out to learn unreal engine no I set out to learn a bunch of tasks that I could do in Unreal Engine, okay? So when I downloaded Unreal, I made a list of a couple of things. How do you bring an asset into Unreal? How do I move a camera? How do I render it? That's like three things. How do I render it, right? And how do I do that in different angles and put it in an edit? 
once I had that, I had a bunch of shots. There was no animation, just a bunch of camera shots. I'm like, ooh, what's next? How do I apply motion capture? So these are all things that are relevant to me as a filmmaker to help me tell my story. Now, an animator may have a different set of tasks. He or she may want to know, how do you rig a character? How do I use control rig to pose them? And how do I control weight and balance and all of the things and skinning to do my animation? And I'll just do that one shot. A production designer maybe have some complete different. A cinematographer may be like, how do I light the scene? How do I control the light balance? You know, how do I deal with post-processing effects? It's all very different. So the technicalities are there to help me tell my story. So that's how I balance the two. And that's how I'm able to move from storytelling to technical or the other way around. And how, how would you recommend to somebody to kind of learn about storytelling better, sure. I guess? You know, there, there's so many ways to answer that question. I think everything is quite is, is particular to the person. I obviously grew up watching a lot of movies. Like, you know, like my dad bought Blade Runner on VHS for me when I was like 12. Great parenting. No. Um, yeah. and, um, <laughs> and I remember watching that and I was like, I have no friggin' idea what this is, but this is somehow amazing and i went and googled the word well google went to library and find out what replicant meant right and um and that was a hard task trying to find what the word replicant meant at the time um and then that's got me really interested and then as you grow older you're like i'm watching a lot of these really cool films like spielberg's like you know you know films like indiana jones star wars and all of that stuff and jurassic park you start to question like how, how are those things put together and then the amazing thing happened DVDs were released with behind the scene featurettes. Yes. Is that like you yeah. said, Lord of the Rings? The Matrix had an amazing one, like a four disc thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is how you make it. Then you find out the, re the way to learn storytelling isn't, well, obviously you've got to read a lot of scripts and stuff. But for me, it's a feeling. What is that feeling you get when you watch a movie? And what is that feeling you get when you watch a movie that just doesn't feel right? You know, and maybe the, the, the shots are edited wrong maybe they're crossing the line and maybe they're doing it on purpose to make it feel on edge but there's several ways of learning storytelling the best one i would say is observe observe mm -hmm. watch watch as many different types of movies i know i watch japan anime i watch all types of animation i watch the disney stuff anything watch as many variety of movies and you'll find sometimes there is a similar formula in all those films there is a structure to it it may not be the free act structure but there is a structure there is a protagonist there is always this twist at the end you know, um, if especially Hollywood films, you know, when I got signed to a manager, the first thing my manager told me was, this is an amazing book called Save the Cat. Read that. Mm. Like, okay. Read it. I'm like, oh my God, every Hollywood movie I've seen kind of follows that structure one way or another. So yeah. So read the book, Save the Cat is one answer. And the other thing is, you know, just um, watch a lot of movies. But you know what the big thing is? Just go and make something, man. Like you don't need Unreal Engine to make anything, right? Just get your iPhone and start locking shots out that if you've got a cat or a dog shoot some footage and it sounds silly but that's filmmaking because you're telling the story yeah no that's great advice yeah and i think um yeah hopefully anyone else out there who's looking to to gen up on filmmaking go do those things is a good a nice thing to homework watch movies is a good good piece of homework um yeah men mentoring is another one that's i think i think really helpful if yeah. you have access to being able to it's hard to get access to high level hollywood filmmakers but time. in working your I way up towards that it. yeah <laughs> a lot of it is time as well like i used to think oh my god why are these like big name directors not giving me like time and stuff and until you become a director you're like oh my god now i know why there's no <laughs> you time. get it now yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome um so another question in here um what was the process of building up the environments in terms of the initial discovery of assets and layout? How real time was that? And how much was used or thrown away by the end of it? So, yeah. Well, we definitely didn't throw anything away because like I said, I'm spending my own money on this film. I'm not going to let anything go to waste. So what we did was um, like Andrea uses 3D Studio Max to like do kind of block out. And this is where we borrowed a lot away from the film industry and look more at the games industry. So the games industry, when you make a game level, you do something called white boxing, right? You just build a white box level just to get the gameplay going. We did a similar thing. We just kind of white box a bunch of levels. Sometimes we go to the marketplace. The marketplace is amazing. Just download a bunch of assets just as placeholders. I mean, most of them we can't really use because you have to rework them to make it work and so on, but they're okay for placeholders. Um, once we had a good gist of it, sometimes I would just do a screenshot 
and I'll take it in Photoshop and just paint on top of it. So I know mm. like they had a good base to work from. Um, and then we just we just keep iterating. You know, we start from gray and we just keep iterating and iterating. But the cool thing is we, no one's waiting for that environment to finish to do the shot. And we also do this thing. We have this like level stream, which we started doing sort of like halfway through production. That Andrea Tatechi, our head of CD, was like, we've got to find a better way of doing this where you're not locking out the entire level just to change a freaking tree when there's people out there trying to do stuff. So we did level streaming. So we broke up things like lighting and backgrounds were done as, as one level stream. And then we had animations and level level stream, cameras and level level stream. It meant that, you know, I can make tweaks and everyone could open that same file, but source control wouldn't be messed up at all. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Excuse me. And now that they're um, uh, taking that one step further with world partition and one file per yes. actor and being able to oh, yes. not be <clears throat> people could move one tree and somebody could move the blade of grass next to it that down to that <laughs> level yeah still it's still um you know maturing but uh yeah very 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 cool to be able to uh, again coming back to the collaboration component that you're describing yeah. here about how real time the collaboration is the pipeline is yeah. not this big long line where you have to formally send things backwards and forwards as much 100%. Very cool. It's iterative. It's very, I mean, if, you know, anyone, any project managers listen to here, we use an agile workflow. Right. The waterfall yeah. workflow is like linear. Agile means that you just do the shots and keep going back, do the shots, keep going back, do the shots, keep going back. In fact, we did the first shot October 2020, like I said earlier. And then like two months ago, we went back to that same shot we opened on October 2020 and we updated everything because now our characters look better our environments look better and it's so much quicker to change sometimes they just change automatically because we're linking to the same you know to the same asset right yeah yeah so it's more, more like it's borrowing from engineering essentially essentially 100%. making filmmaking yes. more like engineering yeah totally <laughs> super cool yeah people should look up uh, agile workflow as well it's a good one um so what is it, someone's asking, what does your working space setup look like? Do you have <laughs> like certain types of CPU, GPU, iPad for VCAM, Vive, MoCap? <laughs> well, I definitely don't have MoCap. Tech I don't have MoCap. That's, that's, that's Gabriella, Alex, and Ace to have to do all that. Um, I mean, I do do directing via the iPad, via Zoom. Um, but no, I've got an, I've got an Asus, Pro, uh, Asus Pro Art Workstation. It's pretty beefy. You know, it's got the latest, well, the latest at the time was latest. I've got the NVIDIA A6000 card. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's serious top end stuff. But here's a fact. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Oh, fuck it, I'll say it. Here's a fun fact exclusively to CG Pro. Um, the entire movie was rendered on just that one computer. Every single shot was rendered on that one computer. Yes, everyone else worked on the, on the levels and the Unreal Engine scenes and so on. But when it came to rendering the shots into an edit, it was all done on that one computer. So that gives you an idea of infrastructure right there. My monitors, I've got two monitors. I've got two um, Asus um, HDR monitors. I very rarely use HDR because it'll just blind you, like that movie Sunshine or something. But it's very useful when we when, when we did get the, um, the, the color send over the gray dailies, uh, we were able to switch to HDR on the monitor and watch true HDR, which was like a luxury I didn't think I have in my home. Um, I use a Wacom uh, Cintiq to do, which is connected to um, my computer to do actual work. Like I don't really use it so much in Unreal, although we did do some projects on it. We do mainly for Photoshopping and stuff. Um, what else? Yeah. I, have? I do have it on iPad, like I said, for Zoom. I don't really do too much VCAM work anymore. I did it for my my bunch of other shots. You know, again, it's a personal preference, but I found it's just quicker just to animate with using the mouse. Sometimes what I did was like at the start of the project, I did use a VCAM just to record a bunch of motion, like hand motion. And sometimes I just leave my hand as it is. And it looks like my hand is static, but it's not. It's actually micro movements in there because, you know, everyone yeah. doesn't move unless you're a statue, right? Um, and then I would translate that into, into sequence and save that out as a camera shake file or something. Um, but that's really as far as I go. Um, what else do I have? I have a lot of retro games on my... Do you know what I'll do? After this, right, well, I'll, on Facebook, I'll post a picture of my workstation like my stuff. Oh, cool. And you guys, then you guys can see what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think people are really curious and still, even though we know we're in real time, people think often thinking still of render farms and those kinds of oh, things. No. So it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, really cool to hear that. Um, and what do you have a bit of talking about the camera part of that? Um, do do you feel like having super handheld, like real realistic cameras worse in 
stylized look or like does it fit does it is, is it better it, or worse yeah you know you know for us you know we're we're doing it and our film is very very stylized you know to the yeah. point that we built our own custom anime cell shader because there wasn't any right you know there, there were post-process filters that is not the same as shaders and here's the thing if you put a post-process filter it works for the one frame your camera starts to move all the lines get thick and everything starts breaking because it's a filter right it needs yeah. to calculate so we had to build our own shaders and dread to actually again big props go out to my head of cg who worked so hard in getting those shaders we it was a combination of re-illusion eye clone come you know the character creator also a character creator coming into um bridging into unreal and working on those shaders working on the eyes if you look at anime the eyes have these big reflections you know we even like had to combine it with clever lighting so it wasn't just about doing great shaders the shaders had to work with the light the type of lights we would use um and then you find that we don't have uncanny value the way it looked because it it's very stylized but then yeah. you do get uncanny value if the motion capture is super perfectly human right so we did the first test we we're doing like gabriella will be walking and we're like it's cool but why does this feel creepy <laughs> yeah that's our why does our stylized anime cg character look creepy and we realize oh usually anime is animated in like ones or twos so in, in sequencer we would do tricks i would do tricks where i would kind of like you know kind of redo retimes or you know try to slow things down or create a jitter effect which was a freaking nightmare to do but you kind of we kind of broke it to make it imperfect to make it feel more natural kind of weird i know whereas in when you're doing a photo real thing everything's got to move perfectly your camera's got to be handheld which is why we decided not to go to handheld camera because it felt a bit weird um even though with a photorealistic scene it's perfect to do handheld for stylized it's all about doing things with the camera that is often traditional like you know your, your nice framing nice tracking shot the dolly tracks when the action happens the camera's doing crazy stuff that you just couldn't do with a real camera and i felt like we had a handheld camera it'd feel a bit weird so yeah cool it's, yeah I, I basically yeah. uh yeah that definitely answers my question so it was, it was an obsession on the lion king it had to look perfect and we went to the ultimate nth degree to try and get real camera in every shot but i it's, yeah it's i tone. think it's, it's, it's different tone right i mean lion different king totally different look very, yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, no, that's really cool. It's an aesthetic choice, essentially, not exactly. just a, a limitation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, awesome. Um, another one. How much did your animation work impact the script? Did you like? Did it go back the other way? A hundred percent, absolutely. In fact, the first script we wrote, in fact, the first ninety page we wrote, we're like, this is it. We are done. But we were still making shots while we we're writing the script, like I said earlier. And then when um, Stavros, um, our writer, watched the first like half an hour of the movie we did it was like bro and now get what you're doing i'm gonna go back and do a rewrite it is again a luxury writers don't get because a writer writes in he or her's own mindset the director's job is to interpret that script to tell a story in his or her own way whereas here there's an opportunity for the writer goes oh my god i get what you're doing now now i you know i wrote a sequence where where the where max wakes up and looks out the window you've done it he wakes up rubs his eyes looks around and it, it, there isn't a window, it's a door that's open, which makes way more sense. And he's like, oh my God, I'm going to rewrite that scene now because the dialogue's changed, the tone's changed. So that was good. The other thing also, what was really clever was the fact that um, we we cast some really rock star voice actors. We were very lucky. So we got Jane Perry, who did the voice for Cyberpunk, the game, Hitman, the main character, Diana in Hitman. She's the lead character in a PS5 game called Returnal. So it's kind of like voice over rock star kind of like heaven for like video gamers. They were like, oh my God, that's the, that's the one who did the voice for, you know, this and that. And our main character, Leon, was voiced by someone called Dave Finoy, who did The Walking Dead and um, Telltale Games. Um, Ace Raul, who worked on The Matrix. So there's a really bunch of rock stars. And so what we end up doing is we end up, because their time is so limited because they're just doing a million things. So we recorded all of their voice dialogue as one pass. We cut it up into, into the edit. No animation was done. I used text cards in DaVinci Resolve to say scene 20 underscore shot 10. This is the close up of the hand and scene 20 shot underscore 20 and so on. We kind of used the visual effects numbering system as well. Yeah. Kind of ingrained in me for some reason. And um, it works. <laughs> it works. Yep. And um, and we and then then we started animating the stuff. And then the writer will like hear dialogue. And when we did a second pass, we do like three or four rounds of voice dialogue. Because it's all done remote, by the way. You know, they've got their microphone, they record, mm. send over a wav. I'm via Zoom hearing it. And the writer would then go and rewrite stuff. 
and we'll get different alt to call them alt alternatives with the alternative takes. And then with the animation, it isn't a nightmare to go and change lip sync because we're using this thing in Reillusion called uh, Reillusion iClone called AccuLipSync. It is magic. It's amazing. Some AI thing going on in the back. But you f you you feed the WAV into into iClone. You go to AccuLipSync and it generates it. And now everyone talks differently. Like I talk really fast. Some people talk slow. And anything that's a bit off, you go in and tweak it, just moving points. Like a few seconds, I've got perfect lip sync. And then retarget it to the mouth of my character in Unreal as an FBX. Boom. It's done. So we can make wow. changes on the fly. So animation influenced the script as well as the dialogue. And none of it was expensive or resource intensive to do. Wow, that's so cool! Yeah, I've done I've done lip sync animation in my past before, it's and this, it takes a long time. That's what, yeah, dude, that's yeah. what scared me going into animation. I'm like, the thing that scared me was, oh my god, are we gonna get lip sync right? Because that's the thing that scares me. But no, that's where Illusion came in and rocked it with Vacu lip sync. Wow. It was amazing. Super cool. I I want to take a minute to now ask you about the other the other project that this is which is the game or two other projects with the game <laughs> and the metaverse um can you tell us a, a bit about how the how that worked as a process because nobody has really done it particularly <laughs> but especially no, doesn't know about it how do those things fit together do they get done in the same time you know those types of questions yeah i, I guess I, I mean i think it all started with just me um wanted to have some control over a car we're doing this car chase sequence um, which is in the trailer you'll see this big car chase sequence and not come from animation like an animate but i'm not like pixar level animator right and we need suspension is very important the way car drifts are very important I'm like, oh god that's a lot of keyframe animation like that's a lot of work i don't know if i can do this and i and then we thought well what if we hooked up the xbox controller and started driving a car around right at least we'll get something we'll somehow be able to record that in sequence and so on um but we didn't end up recording the sequencer but because it's just hard to like capture game code at the time in 426. Um, but it was a really good way to start like prevising like some car chasing so that we can then look at how things move and stuff. Um, but it was so much fun. Well, oh my God. And then Sam Rabella, who at the time was our junior artist building assets for us, was like, oh, you know, I kind of like build game levels in my spare time. We're like, you what? Yeah, you know, some, we're like, okay, let's do a game jam this weekend, take a break from the film. And this was the like, important thing about taking breaks. We're not just doing it a game. So we built this, we, we took the asset of the two characters, the, you know, the man and the kid, some bad guys, put them in a room and, you know, did a bit of blueprint coding in a game project. And it was very rough. It was very, very rough. It's collision issues, but it was so fun to play. We're like, hang on a sec. We're making a 90 minute movie. There's only so much you can put in 90 minutes. There's so many ideas and things we wanted to do. We could never put in a 90 minute movie because it'd be just overinflated or confusing. Loads of things get chopped onto the cutting floor, right? You know, kill your darlings kind of thing, right? So, well, this is a movie about multiverses. Video games are multi-branch. We could tell our entire multiverse project in a video game. Then we started doing it and we started like, you know, scheduling some time, like two days a week. Sam would work on a game, I would work on a game, Andrea would work on a game. And at one point we're like, but to make a full-on video game is a serious task. It's, in my opinion, a bigger task than making a movie, right? right. So we're like, Let's test the market. <laughs> Let's really test the market. So we compiled the first working demo that we did, and we put it on Steam as early access demo. Disclaimer, oh, demo. Cool. It's yeah, a yeah, demo, yeah. not a working game. It's an early access. But it was great because people downloaded it. There was a Discord channel, community people feedbacking. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. People gave reasons why they hated it. And it was so such good, valuable like feedback. We're like, oh, wow. You know, we want to make this game now because there's, there's, you know, people loved it and the fact that we had fun doing it. But now we know we're making a game where there's a community support in there. So definitely go to Steam, look for Rift. There's quite a few Rifts. You have to look for the right one. We'll send you a link afterwards. Um, download Great. it, play it, and you, and you get, you kind of see what the game's about, but also kind of reflect what the movie's about. We're now making the game. That's our next focus, and we're doing it in a very episodic way. So we're doing like ten episodes, very much that like Telltale, so like two-hour gameplay, releasing those. You know, they're affordable for people to buy as well. We don't want to make a 70 quid game. Like, no, we're not a AAA studio. But the, yeah. here's the thing. When we released it, because because it was we made the game kind of quick with a very small team, all our assets were from the movie. And we spent a lot of time building those assets. So a lot of people were like, whoa, this game looks massive, man. It looks like a AAA game. We're like, yeah, whoa, ho hold on. We're not a AAA studio. We got this far because we're using the same assets from the movie that we spent time making 
just so you know, so there is that double-edged sword where your game does look too good. People judge it as a triple-A game and then start blasting it with like comments. Like, oh, it's not as good as Cyberpunk, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but sure, it's, yeah. all part of, it's all part of the course. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, I mean, you're pioneering doing that in the first place. It was really, really cool to hear how the whole, the whole thing, you put the whole thing out to the community and, and involve them. I'm sure they feel like they've got agency in it. Did, did the, uh, did, did, did you have special considerations for the making of the stuff in the world for the film, knowing that you were going to make a game? Were there sort of like optimizations that you did? That... Oh yeah. Hell yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Like making, making a movie, like, I mean, you do think about polygons and, and, you know, being smart of your, your particle resources and memory resources. Cause even when you're making a movie, it's going to be rendered you kind of want it to be able to, to work in real time. Also, what's the point, right? Yeah. You guys will do it in Maya or, or Arnold. So uh, the good thing is, all our characters were optimized already. And the way Unreal Engine works is you can create LODs, level, level of details, very, very quickly. Whereas back in the day when I worked in video games, it was a nightmare to create all the various level of details. You have to retexture them, re you know, de topologize them, and all that crazy stuff. Unreal handles LODs really, really well. So that helped us massively. Obviously, a lot of the environments, we had to trim out a lot of things to make it work. Um, we had to be really smart about particles. But here's a funny story. There's actually an effect that we use in the game which, which Sam created using these clever blueprints and um, alpha transparent and Niagara particles. He did this really cool rift effect. I'm like, that's so freaking cool. Why isn't that in the movie? So we're not taking that and putting that into the movie. So it's not just the film makes the game. The game kind of makes the film as well. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So they, so you were developing it essentially at the same time as the film, yeah. Yeah. but it's yeah. it's coming out staged after the it's movie yeah, is out 100 yeah. the movie's coming out first i'm obviously the early access demo you can download and play and have fun and see all the crazy bugs we've got in there some are quite funny uh, but no our next step is making the making the game and, and here's the thing about the game we made it a very conscious decision that this isn't the game version of the movie you can play this game and have no idea that the movie exists that's okay you still will get it because it's its own little thing right or you could watch the movie and not play the game and vice versa we made it a conscious decision not to be like a franchise game it had to be sort of like its own thing for it to, to really do well it has to stand on its own two feet 100%. it can't can't be be dependent on the movie basically 100%. yeah um and uh the next the other project the final project which is the the metaverse <laughs> Metaverse. Component. Yeah, let's say it. Let's oh, do it. We have to mention let's, Metaverse. Let's do on the it. Metaverse. Okay. At least once. Yeah. Here's the thing. I had no intention of doing any web free projects. Okay. No intention at all. I mean, I've seen, and when I say no intention, not because I hate it or anything. No, no, by far. I just didn't have the headspace for it. Right. But this company, this esports company, reached out to us like early this year, like February time. And like, listen, man, we, we've seen all the behind the scenes of Rift. See, posting stuff in community does help. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've seen some of your shorts. We've seen all your stuff. And we'd love for you to do a trailer for us. We, we, we've got this great metaverse that we're creating, esports metaverse called X Manor. Um, we've created our own tokens and all of that. So I had to read up what tokens were, but I had no freaking idea. And, um, but we don't have anything to show. Because it's um, like a lot of these web free projects, they're great visions with great infrastructure that is going to be built, but things take time and they need to show stuff to the world that what this metaverse is going to be. It's only so much Ready Player One you're going to show, right? Until you start showing the actual thing. So um, they said, can you build us a trailer? Here's the vision. I'm like, cool. And I got to, it's like directing a commercial. This is amazing. Well, we didn't tell them we did it in Unreal. We just said, we're doing an animated thing. We did the trailer. They loved it. It had a lot of press coverage and it was on beyond.biz and a couple of like, like web free websites and so on. And then they came back and said, Hey, can you do some more videos for us? I'm like, we could, it's great business, but why? They're like, well, we kind of now want to sh show a trail on how we could, um, how we could gamify a retail experience. We want to show how tokenization works and all these, so it's kind of like infomercials, right? We're like, yeah, sure. I mean, this is great. You know, it's kind of finance our studio. Amazing. Um, why? <laughs> like, what do you mean why? And Steve, Steve, Steve Stain, who's the CEO of X Man, is like one of our good friends now, and we are, we're partners in this project now. But um, but before that, it was like why? We're like, well, you guys are pitching the future of the internet, which is web free, but you're pitching it in a web two way, which is pictures and video. So multimedia, dude. Like so nineties. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, what do you suggest, smart Alec? I'm like, well, why <laughs> don't you, why don't you just build a prototype? 
And they're like, well, how do we do that? I'm like, well, it's funny you said that because um, we booked that entire trailer in Unreal. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. So we had a month, four weeks. We moved everything from the trailer into a game project. Same thing we did on Rift, by the way. And plugged an Xbox controller in. And all of a sudden, we're walking around the metaverse in 60 frames per second. And they're like, this is fucking amazing. And I'm like, okay, but how do we get this in the hands of people, not everyone's going to have an A6000 graphics card on their machine. Now, not everyone's going to install friggin' Unreal Engine on their laptop, especially tech VCs, right? They're not going to do that, or tech executives. So we or started Max, <laughs> right? Or, or they have Mac, or they run it. They run the iPads, right? They run the iPads on their phones, and they were on the yeah. iPads on their phones. They're watching the trailer on that. I'm like, oh my god, they're not going to run Unreal. So we looked at pixel streaming, right. and again, because. We, it was a necessity to get this in the hands. We learned a new skill and we got into, we, you know, we worked close to AWS. We got our pixel streaming up and going. And um, all of a sudden they're, they're moving around in this Unreal Engine world on their phones and iPad. And instantly we're like, okay, they're like, how do we get you involved in this? Like much more than just doing trailers. We're like, well, why don't we just become a creative partner? So we're officially a creative partner on a metaverse project where we're key stakeholders in the project and we control every creative element we don't deal with blockchain we don't deal with crypto we don't deal with all of that engineering back-end stuff we have an understanding of course but we don't deal with all that stuff that stuff is handled by the x-man awesome engineering team we handle all the cool creative gamification game experience and it's been a blast and now like i'm like so immersed in the metaverse creation that the difference between us and what a lot of other people are doing is that we're actually building it and we're testing right. it every day is there is there um, any way that people can experience that currently? Is that yet to be? Not yet, not yet. Okay. But you will be very soon. Oh, I can say maybe February we're going to release like a public beta for people to try. Because you know, like we said at the start of the call, we're always about testing, and that's one thing we made it very clear as part of our partnership is that we want to be involved in all the testing. Um, but you know, we do, we we migrated to Unreal Engine five. Ah, uh, <laughs> we went through everything was working so good now it looks gorgeous obviously the lumen light and everything and all the it looks great but nothing thing. works <laughs> your animation your skeletons break your blueprints break and so yeah. but we had to create something that was future proof we can't just stay in 427 for the metaverse the original test we did was 427 so we spent a lot of time migrating to you know ue5 epic helped out a lot with the you know giving us some good tips and stuff um, but we partnered with AWS as well. AWS being super helpful. And um, now, you know, it's almost weird to think that we set up to build an, a film company. We end up making an animated film and then we made a video game and now we're responsible for building a metaverse platform. What? And that's the <laughs> point. And you know, dude, all of this came down to one singular moment of my life. And you know what that was? It was a time where I was, wasn't getting enough work. Like, you know, I've done two shows. Waiting, you know, waiting for your callback for your agent. Say, hey, you got the show or not? I'm like, I'm bored. I need to do something. And I decided to learn Unreal Engine. So the tip to any directors out there, anyone who thinks they've made it to the top, always keep learning, man. If I didn't decide, to, I could I could have been that douchey director. I go, I'm not going to do that. I've got visual effects teams to do that. I've got an artist. I'm a director. I'll tell people what to do. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you now. So always step out your comfort zone. Learn a new tool you know, face, embrace the fear and just learn, 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 learn. Because if I didn't learn, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. I literally carved a career out in, in my filmmaking career. Well, that's amazing. That's, that's very inspiring to hear. And I'm sure the same for a lot of other people just to ha how you do what you do, but distilled into a single thought because there's a lot yeah. of processes that you've gone through but if it, it really it's, it's great to hear it simplified in that way into being curious and being yeah. willing to learn and being vulnerable and sharing and being being okay with that yeah, yeah. it's super inspiring well um is there anything else that you want to share with the community whilst you're here um yeah, you've just, talked just about keep, yeah follow me on follow me on my social medias like you know the handles are on the posts at Facebook and, and all the other CG pros sites, but like, follow me. I'm usually quite um, responsive on like Instagram or stuff. Sh share your work. I want to follow you, follow me, follow, I'll follow you. I want to see what you guys are doing. Um, but, and just follow Rift. Cause you know, we are going to be doing more announcements at Rift. There are going to be some screenings happening in, in the States as well. So, you know, we'll put out posts. I know Epic going to help us do that as well. Um, but like, yeah, just, just keep making stuff. You know, what excites me is seeing what other people do. 
that inspires me every day. So I want to see what you guys do that are on this um, podcast. Do it, people. Follow, share, and uh, be inspired, and we'll, we'll all inspire each other. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things I love about about this new phase that we're in of content creation yeah. in general is the, how how community based it is visual effects yeah. didn't feel like that too much no. yes there was a community but it was not like this it was not like no. this kind of thing we're talking about sharing and collaborating and doing it all in real time it's yeah 100%. very cool time well has it's an absolute pleasure having you on uh always is um thank you for bringing your your heart and soul and your spirit and you're sharing so much you know you're very generous with your your knowledge and your processes and your your experience um i'm sure this has inspired a lot of people today it has me um i will look i look forward to being able to do it again and we'll definitely when your when your projects come out we will yes we'll boost them and share them and yeah Thank you. But thank, thank you. you so much for your time today. I really appreciate thank it. You, man. Appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening as well. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to everybody out there that's been listening today and sending us great questions. Um, look forward to another episode in two weeks and we will, yeah, we'll, we'll be back again soon with a, with another great episode. Um, but yeah, today we've been with Hasdalil episode 34. Thank you everybody for being here and we'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.